0: Somebody thought I was going to do a magic trick, the first service. No magic tricks. Actually, at no time will my fingers leave my hands. No, no magic trick. I do want to offer you, though, a toast. I have some really good wine right here. This, metaphorically, will be your glass, and this will be my glass, and we'll just say, cheers, and then we'll drink. But if you look in here, it's not too clean. It's got some. Stuff in it. And uh, pretty sure it has some iocane powder in it, which could kill you if you've ever watched Princess Bride. But it, honestly, if you look at this kind of uh, vintage, um, it's really poor. It's a poor, poor drink. So let's empty it. Let's empty that. But, uh, you know, when you look at this glass, it's still not clean. You know, I want a clean glass. And so, um, you can find a nice white towel to clean this glass. a little bit of water in it. I feel bad every time this glass is dirty, worn over it. So I'll clean that glass and then clean. It's a very comforting towel. Makes me feel better. But it's a lot different than what it originally was. But it's empty. But I do have something else in here. I have a picture. Hmm. Picture of righteousness. But in order for me to fill this glass, I need to put it underneath, it has to sort of be meek, put it underneath the pitcher so then it can be filled. This is the wine of the world, the way I was before I emptied myself. This is righteousness. If you open up to Matthew chapter 5, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. We've been studying the Sermon on the Mount. We've been saying week after week that the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest message Jesus ever gave. We have presented that it's a system of righteousness. It's a movement of how somebody, actually their life has changed from a life that is broken to a life that's brand new. And um, each verse is dependent on the next, and hopefully this illustration will show the point. So if we start in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 5, we'll continue in our study to verse 6. So it begins like this. Seeing the crowds, he, meaning Jesus, went up on a mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Disciples are followers. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, blessed are those who are poor, Poor in spirit, those who recognize their poorness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, or that's how they begin, that's how they enter this new life. It's called the kingdom life. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourning, just being upset about just how broken and dirty they are, and they will be comforted. The idea that God's forgiveness is offered. This forgiveness that wipes them clean. Then it continues, blessed are the meek, those who are willing to come underneath and humble themselves, for they shall inherit the earth, and in today, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after they want this righteousness, they shall be filled. So you could say it like this, verses 3, 4, and 5 is the process of emptying. Philosophically, we call it deconstruction, almost tearing the building down. It's easy to tear stuff down. Actually, when it comes to Christianity, it's all—it's easy to always be upset at me, to make Christianity a very sad and mournful affair. But we empty ourselves, we break stuff down, so we can then reconstruct. We don't just deconstruct to deconstruct; we deconstruct so we can reconstruct, or we empty ourselves so we can fill. Because when you're alive, you grow. I don't prune a plant. So uh, beginning of spring, I'll prune my rose rose bushes. But I don't prune those rose bushes because I want them pruned. I don't want a rose bush to be tiny and nubby. I prune my rose bush so that by July and August, I'll have 30, 40 roses. I don't empty myself just to be empty. I empty myself so I can be filled with the life of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's what we're going to talk about today. When it comes to to Beatitudes of the kingdom of God, the way the world hears the way God speaks and the way that people in his kingdom hear the way God speaks, they hear it in different ways. So if you notice, I've pointed this out every time, every verse starting in 3 starts with the word blessed. We use the word happy. And then the way it works is it said blessed as a character quality of a person, and if this person has that character quality, they will receive a reward. The world hears it like this, especially verse 6. Happy are those who hunger and thirst or who are focused on happiness. This is the problem with this cup. All of this stuff that we jam in our life, we think is going to make us happy, and it doesn't necessarily make us happy. A lot of times it makes us very, very unsatisfied and always wanting more. But if you notice what the the verse actually says, is happy are those that are focused on righteousness, for they shall be filled. It's not being happy about happiness. It's being focused on righteousness. Let me show you what I mean. Go to Psalm 37. This is a very, uh, what I would say, well-known psalm. And it talks about not fretting, not letting the world take you over, but the key verse I want to focus on is just verse 4. Psalm 37.4 is exactly what this beatitude is, but listen to how it's written. And then I'll give you an illustration. Psalm 37 4 says, Delight yourself. That means hunger and thirst. That means want. It's a wanting. Delight yourself in the Lord. I'm also going to argue that righteousness is the life of the Lord in you, the life of Jesus in you. So delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. A lot of people read this saying, you know what I want? I want to be rich, famous, and I want everything, all kind of good stuff. So if I just love God, he'll give me all this good stuff. But the point isn't that. The point is if you delight in yourself in the Lord, you will really find your true delight. It will, you will find when you find God, he is the desire of your heart. Jesus said, seek first, this is Matthew 6, 33, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things, they'll be given to you because you already have the greatest thing. I call it the story of the engagement. This guy loves this girl, goes over to her house. They've been dating for years. Goes to the front room. They're sitting on a couch. He gets on his knees, brings out a little box that's blue velvet, opens it up, and inside is a sparkling engagement ring, probably from Kay Jewelers. Every kiss begins with K. <laughs> so he pulls out that, that K jeweler and puts it on her wedding finger. And said, will you marry me? And she, she doesn't say anything to him, she's just in awe of this new ring. And she stares at the ring. She hides, puts it up to the light, she runs upstairs, goes into the bathroom, locks herself into the bathroom, turns on all the bathroom lights and just stares at her ring. For the next three hours. And the guys left there in the living room saying, What? What just happened? <laughs> you <laughs> this girl wanted a ring more than she wanted a relationship, but the man gave her the ring for the relationship. Often we go to God because all we want is a ring. He doesn't want to just give you a ring, he wants the relationship. That's the thing, that's what matters. And even as I'm giving that illustration, you're thinking, what is wrong with that girl? That's really selfish. Exactly. It's really selfish when you only go to God for the things he can give you instead of just himself. Because he is everything. That's the point. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst after him. They shall be filled. So to really properly understand this, dive a little deeper, we're going to ask these two questions. What is righteousness specifically? And then the second question is, what does it mean to hunger and thirst? So righteousness, I believe, is an issue of the mind. I have to understand righteousness. Because once I understand it, then I will want it. It's not let feeling lead the way, let the mind lead the way. So you could say, really, the, what is righteousness is loving God with all of your mind. That's so we have to understand that word. And then, what does it mean to hunger and thirst? That's loving him with all of your heart. But it starts with the mind. And I'll, tell, I'll give you an illustration of why. Let's say I go to my kids and I say to my kids, we're going out to dinner tonight. And they're like, yay, I love going out to dinner. So they're all excited. So in a way, they're hungry and thirsty after dinner. So just give them a vague term, we're going out to dinner, wonderful. I said, what if I tell them we're going to Outback Steakhouse? Oh, they love it. They're going to go crazy. I want to go. When are we leaving? But if I tell them we're going to Joe's Liver and Onion Shack with red bean and rice of appetizers, Liver and Onions? I don't want to go to Liver and Onion Shack. You know, the, the liver that's really like it flops like a... Wet fish, really good. And you you know, <laughs> smeared in liver gravy. I don't want to go there. So if I tell my kids we're going out to dinner to Joe's shack, they aren't hungry. They aren't thirsty. But if I tell them we're going to Outback, it instantly starts building an appetite into their heart. So we first have to understand what does it mean, what does it mean to want righteousness? Because I believe if you understand it correctly, then you're going to want it. You need to look before you leap. Or you could say, knowing leads to action. So righteousness defined. Let's think rightly about this. I realized the first, the first service, it was a little vague. I'm trying to, going to be a little more specific. So try to track with me on this. Because if you understand what I'm saying, I really think you're going to want that so righteousness literally means to put things right to fix what was broken sometimes this word is to be delivered out of bond but it's to actually put things so right that God is pleased it's to be made perfect second question about well who is righteousness so when I hunger and thirst after righteousness is it, a, is it justice for everybody, like a righteousness in the world? A little. Some scholars say, yeah, because they interpret it, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. Because justice is putting things right. Is it wanting other people to do the right thing? Because I think we're obsessed with that in our culture. We're great at pointing out how everybody else is doing wrong. It's basically what politics is built on. You are wrong, you are wrong, you are wrong, but I'm doing great. Like what the philosopher Jordan Peterson says: Before you start telling everybody to change, clean up your own room first. And that's what this is about. Cleaning up your own room first. Fixing me. Blessed are those individuals who hunger and thirst after an inside making things right in here. For they will be filled. And the reason why I say this is primarily about me and my relationship with God is because all the way through this beatitude, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are the person who is broken on the inside. Blessed are those who mourn on the inside. Blessed are those who are meek. So naturally the next one is blessed are those people who hunger and thirst after righteousness. This isn't about you and the world being better. It's actually about me because actually once we start working on me the world will start getting better. It just will. Now I'm going to use what I'm going to call theological words to help explain righteousness because you have given the New Testament so after Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, which is the story of Jesus, you start having what are called the Epistles, the writing of the Apostles. So the Acts, you've got Paul and then Peter and James and John start writing. And they define righteousness down very specifically. And they say there's two points to it. I'm going to call it imputed righteousness and then continual righteousness. So let me, let me just show you what imputed righteousness is. So here I am, I'm an empty vessel. When I believe by faith, when I believe by faith that the death that Jesus died on the cross, that he actually died was buried and rose again, and I know that was for me. When I believe that and confess that, I am filled. He gives me his Holy Spirit. That's called imputed righteousness. If you notice, I didn't create it. It was given to me. So that's why it's called alien righteousness. It's outside of me. It was given to me. I don't produce it. It's not about me being better. It's not about this guy doing the law and wearing a tie to church and giving tithes and not swearing. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with believing, and then God pours his life in me. That's why it says I'm both baptized when I believe and I'm sealed to the Holy Spirit. God gives me him. I don't understand this, truthfully. When I believe, the third person of the Trinity lives inside of me. I often wondered if I cut myself in half, would I see him? You know, I, He lives in me. That's incredible. And not only that, you can read this later, Ephesians 2, 5, and 6 talk about, well, let's go there, Ephesians 2. I think we have time. Yeah, Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 is a very important passage in the New Testament. I encourage you to really read it often because it describes the process of salvation. Beautifully, Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. That's all right. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And I'm going to use these glasses as an illustration. Starting at verse 1, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Verse 2, in which you once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air. That means Satan was controlling your desires. That's why in verse 3, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. So this means we were in a bad place with this wine, really bad. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us. So God, full of mercy, took all of your sins and put them on his son on the cross. That's called mercy love for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so then verse 5 even when we were dead in our trespasses he made us alive by grace so this righteousness is the grace of God we don't deserve it it's his gift to us from love because he loves us and then look at verse 6 verse 6 is incredible if you really contemplate this this is what I mean about loving God with your mind this will blow you away verse 6 And he raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So when I believe, and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, God sees me sitting with Jesus at his right hand, I'm positionally forever righteous, made right in the mind of God. I want that. I don't know about you, that gets me excited. Then we have what's called a continual act of filling, where God daily wants to fill me because the Spirit wants to live in me, and I'm, he leads me to make decisions daily, every day. This is called practical righteousness. I already have the Spirit in me, and now today I need to let him live in me through obedience and through faith. And you can read that in Romans 84 4-14. I like to put it like this. Imagine imputing continues this idea of when you believe in Jesus he gives you all of his riches in your bank. So he fills up your bank account with his bank account. It's in there. But daily if you want the, the money you've got to daily withdraw it. That's the continual aspect. So at one time it's been imputed, given to you in your bank account and then continually you withdraw. it. That's letting the Spirit live in you on a daily basis. That's righteousness. And as you do, you're going to be made more and more like Christ. It's a continual growth. How does this filling occur? Do I conjure it? Do I work hard? Do I do the law? You know, how does how do I do this? I, I can't fill. A lot of people think by being religious and doing the right things is how you get filled. I'm filled by faith. God fills me. This cup can't fill itself. God fills me. All I do is he gives me promises and I just receive them. I accept them. I believe them. And then he pours them in me. Let me show you what I mean. So we'll go to the next word, hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirst is a statement of desire. You guys know what it means to be hungry. You know what it means to thirst. There's an aspect of pain to it that I'm not satisfied right now and I want to be satisfied. There's also a drive to have something. So hungering and thirsting after righteousness, is it passion or is it faith? Is it I conjure it up? I want you, God! Or do I believe what you tell me and I act in obedience and when I act in obedience, he fills me with his spirit and then the emotions will come. I think it's both. I'll give you an illustration. I think when you first fall in love, there is that emotion. When you first fall in love, you will look at the one that you're in love with across a candlelight dinner and something will leap in your heart. And you'll think about them when you go home. However, if that's all you have and that kind of love does not grow, it was just passion. Mature love is committed. Mature love is faithful, and mature love hangs in there even when the emotion isn't there. When you get married and you have a good relationship, there will be days, months, weeks when you and your spouse it's just, you're, you're just hanging on by the promise of till death do us part. But the promise Means the world to you. And it makes that kind of love deeper. I think it's the same thing. Thing about passion, it's driven by sentiment and feeling. A lot of people think that's what Christianity is all about. It's passion. It's people who pray like this: God, put a hedge of protection around me. You know, they if they yell louder, that means they love him more. The problem with passion, there's I'd call it the three C's that have a problem: is Passion, we we tend to compare with other Christians by who seems more on fire. We have to conjure this kind of emotion. Sometimes, I'm just not feeling it today, but I better, because, all right, I'm going to come to church, and if I'm crying, then that means I'm really sincere. Emotion for us kind of determines if I'm really genuine or not, and that becomes almost a competitive thing. Like, I'm so much more inspired than the rest of this group. The thing about faith, it's driven by promises. It's driven by this. God will tell you something. And faith says, here's what faith says, I believe this, and I will die for this. Faith doesn't necessarily come true right away, but in time it proves itself true. And then the beauty of faith is there will become a steady build and then you have a steady, steady trust in him and the more you trust him the more his word comes true and the more his word comes true the more you're overwhelmed and the more mature you are. It's the same way with a relationship when you're going through tough times and your spouse hangs in there with you you realize they really love me but passion it gets exhausting after a while. I know some people are so on fire for the first couple of years and then I just can't keep this up! That's because it's only human where faith is all Jesus. It's all Jesus. So what is hunger and thirst? Hungering and thirsting is a desire to have righteousness that actually is motivated by faith, by His promises. Let me give you an illustration. I um, he used to work in youth ministry, and there was a, it was about my fifth year in youth ministry. There was a big guy that was in my youth group, big guy. He really loved football, but his junior year, he never played. He was strong. He had athletic ability, but he was truthfully lazy. So he said to me, I, I got to tell you, I just love football. I love it. And I want, it's my last year, next year, and I really want to play. I think I can do great, and the coach doesn't see my potential. And I said, hey, okay, I'll work with you. And here's what we'll do. We'll start off slow. We'll maybe start running a mile for the first week, get up to a mile and a half by the next week, and then let's do a couple miles, three times a, three times a week. And then we'll go to the workout, to the gym. We'll start on bench and do some squats, get up your muscles. And then you need to go to one of the line coach to work on your fitness and footwork. And if you do work on your footwork, they will see that you really want to start. He goes, oh, that sounds great because, you know, I love football. Okay, great. So the first week I said, you ready to go? Let's go run. You know, I hate to run. I don't, I don't like running. Well, you got to get in shape if you're going to start. I just hate running. Well, let's at least go to the gym. Ah, I'm busy. You know, I'm busy. Well, I've got to write some papers. Come on, Kent City's not that hard. You don't have to. I'm sorry, Jill. You don't have to write that many papers. <laughs> and then, you know, you, did you go see a coach? Well, yeah. So, do you really love football? The next year, senior year, he didn't really play. He's upset. I mean, he looked good in his uniform, looked big, but he never played, and he'd be all upset after the game. I didn't get in and the coach just doesn't know how much I love football do you really love football do you really love Jesus if you are truly hungry if you are truly thirsty after righteousness I mean man I'm hungry I'm thirsty after righteousness if you really are You will put yourself in places where you know you will get fed and refreshed. Look at what the book of 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 2 says. 1 Peter 2 verse 2. So Peter's talking about the experience of new believers. And he compares them to newborn babies. So when a baby is born, comes out of the womb, the baby starts hungering after something, it says in verse 2, like newborn babies, newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that, that by it you may grow up in the salvation. So Paul is saying in the same way a newborn baby wants its mother's milk, craves it, a new person who's born again in Christ will want God's nourishment, which most every scholar I've ever studied said it's this, Are you really hungry and thirsty after God? Then you will want this. You just will want it. It will, like a newborn baby who just wants it, you will want this. You will want to put yourself in places where you know you can get fed and refreshed. Hunger to be fed, thirst to be refreshed. I have found in my own life there's four places that when I first really came to Christ that changed me. I would say with the Bible, I, I started working out a devotional plan. I started journaling. I didn't like it at first. It took a lot of discipline. But I wanted to know this book. I don't know why, but I did. I started listening to sermons. We have podcasts galore that while you're driving in your car, instead of you know, listening to the new, same kind of synthetic rock and roll you put on a podcast. Listen for an hour back and forth from work. And then also learn songs, sing songs. Let it fill your heart. Second thing I did is I joined groups. I joined a I was I was young, so I joined a young college group with people that I knew knew God and I wanted to learn from them. I joined prayer groups. I would go when there were prayer groups open. Third thing I did is I made church a priority. What is the church? Well, the Bible says it's the body of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. And you are part of that body. And at the church, you are to love the brethren and there's four things that happen. I call it wife. W is worship. I is instruction. F is fellowship, encouragement. And E is you learn how to tell others or evangelism. That's why we come to church. To be built because I'm hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And then the fourth thing is just find people. Find one or two people that will challenge you. People that you know know God. They're out there. For me, when I first was um, a Christian, I spent a lot of time with my mom and dad just talking to them. And then I Married a spouse that knew God. I wanted, to know, I wanted to hook my life up with somebody who knew God. And then I would say one of the greatest gifts God gave me is the staff at this church. There are four, four guys, three guys now, but four guys that are not like me. They challenge me. They, they will confront me. And they'll spur me on to Godliness. If you are truly hungry, that's the kind of stuff you'll do. And, but then the, here's one more problem. I would say um, hunger can be ruined. Did you know that? You know what ruins hunger? I'll show you what ruins hunger. Circus peanuts ruin <laughs> hunger. Everybody, I often will talk about circus peanuts and people buy me circus peanuts because I love circus peanuts. But once you eat a circus peanut, you, some of you hate them, but if you love circus peanuts, you eat one and you've got to eat another one. And then you got to eat another one. The problem with circus peanuts, they're made out of this weird material. When they get to the bottom of your stomach, they expand. And they sit there like a rock, and I never want to eat anything else. I can tell, my wife can tell when I had circus peanuts after church. I won't want the lunch she made, and I'll take a couple bites. You had circus peanuts, didn't you? (laughs) We are spoiling our appetite every day with all of the garbage we put in. We're obsessed with garbage. We're obsessed with social media. We're obsessed with politics. We're obsessed with movies. We're obsessed with recreation. We really believe happy are those who hunger and thirst after happiness. We're obsessed with it. We don't just want to go to the beach. We want to spend the rest of our life on the beach. So when we get to heaven God's going to say, I'm so proud of you. We're spending your life on the beach collecting shells. Why are we here on earth? We're to be happy or be righteous. Be the kind of people God has made us to be, to make ourselves right. That's the point. There's a friend texted me a letter earlier the week and here's the question. So as I constantly think about how I'm being a poor Christian and how I need to do more, but how? So I haven't been as devoted as I should be. I definitely don't read the Bible as often as I should. How do you stay so devoted? I feel him pulling and tugging and getting my attention but not sure what to do. I want to change. What do I do? You hunger and thirst after righteousness, but hunger in the sense of build your appetite for Him. It's the same way with coffee. When I was a little kid, all my mom had, we'd we'd sit in a long station, one of those paneled station wagons and go on long vacation trips. And I'd sit in the front seat between my mom and dad, and they had a big family. And I'd say, Mom, I'm so thirsty. And this is back in the day when you don't stop, you only go to the rest stop. My mom said, I have a big green thermos of black coffee. That's all you got? She goes, here, try it. You'll like it. So I remember the first time I had coffee, I, oh, this is like eating charcoal. <laughs> she goes, here, try it again. The second time was really good. And then when I'd be in the house and say, Mom, you got anything to drink? I got a, cup of, a pot of coffee on there. I guess give me a cup of coffee. So over time, I learned, I acquired the taste of it. I think it's exactly the same way with righteousness. It's an acquired taste. You grow into it by faith. It doesn't just happen. But the question is do you love them? Or is that just saying you love football?